there is a huge difference between being a badass caretaker and just being a bad caretaker. Apparently, in this case, Gertrude did not know the difference. Welcome to Cryptic Soup. This case is not what we hope you remember Indiana for. WIBC, Indianapolis. Parole in a 20-year-old murder case. And this is WIBC News. She refused food. We tried to get her soup every once in a while and stuff like that, and she wouldn't take it. Well, how about these scratch marks on her stomach? Who put them on her? I did. Why? Well, Gertie just thought of it. She said, since you branded us, we're going to brand you. So she... It's dinner with a pen, and I went over it. She showed me how to do it, and then I went over it. I, I did it. Did you ever use any hot irons on her? No. Yeah, I, that three on her stomach, I did half of that. Mm-hmm. And Shirley Ann did the other half. Where'd the S come from? What do you mean? There's a big S branded on her stomach, right? That's what, one of her breath. Huh? that's what I'm talking about. Well, that's what you're talking about. Well, how about the inscription on there, I'm a prostitute and proud of it. Who put that on? I did. All right, guys, so normally we try to make a joke in the intro. But this case was just really graphic, gnarly, sad, and overall a difficult subject. We did want to give an extra warning. This episode is heavy on abuse, torture, and graphic scenes featuring a 16-year-old girl. So please be aware. If that is something you cannot handle, we understand and we hope you stay tuned for the next episode. Carly, I have a story for you real quick. (laughs) (laughs) fail (laughs) before we get into this really heavy case Mm -hmm. i have a true crime story for you it's not a true crime story at all it's a lesson in true crimes okay so obviously i am part of a true crime podcast with you oh (laughs) and the other day this man okay i'm i'm not i'm you saw the snapchat didn't you you know what i'm about to tell you i think well this man came up to me and was like hey i have a dog in my car do you, do you want to come see it? And I was like, yeah, of course. And he's like, okay, it's that van over there in the corner. And I was like, okay. And I go running over to this man's van and I come back after petting this dog and all my coworkers were staring at me and I was like, what? And they're like, don't you have a true crime podcast? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, <laughs> of all people, you should know if some like random person, like no one needs to tell me, hey, I have candy in my car or anything. I'm not, I don't <laughs> no, care. Candy does. No, but I don't like, care about candy. I have a dog. Do you want to pet it? I'd be like, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Well, now everybody knows how to lure you into into very, their van. It's very easy. And like it was a van nonetheless. And it was but I put it on my Snapchat story. I was like, hey, everyone, um, I'm going to go over to the sketchy van real quick. I'll be right back. But then the next Snapchat was I was like, they do have a dog. Look, so I didn't get murdered. I survived. No worries. I thought I would tell you that quick little happiness before I bring your mood way down <laughs> like so deep down <laughs> that's my deep deep voice you can't do that Corey, Corey said my deep voice is really good so i wanted to use it way down i can't even way down, down. down. <laughs> so this case is about sylvia likens and she was a young girl who deserved a much better life than she had For this month, we've been doing the whole scary movie themes. There are some movies based on this, but we're going to kind of talk about them as we go through the case. 
because I will talk about the similarities versus the differences, kind of more like we did with the Exorcist case. Another reason this case is kind of big is because this hits home for Kylie and I, because this actually happened in our state. And it's one of the gnarliest cases our, our state has ever seen or heard of. So if you haven't heard of it, I'm really sorry that I have to be the bearer of bad news and bring this on to you. But if you're from around here, you've probably heard this case and you've probably seen the pictures. So let's get started. Sylvia Marie Likens was born January 3rd in 1949. She is a Capricorn. She is born on National Chocolate Covered Cherry Day. That is the day when the most divorces are actually filed. And it's Eli Manning and J.R.R. Tolkien's birthday. She was born in Lebanon, Indiana to her parents, Lester Likens and Elizabeth Betty Likens. Most people just called her Betty. She was born as the middle child between two sets of fraternal twins, which has to be like the worst. Right. Like everyone else has a like buddy <laughs> yeah. and you don't. And you have to be in the middle. Like you can't even be like the baby of the family or something. Right. That's a that's a bummer. Well, her oldest siblings were Daniel and Diana, who were born in 1947. So they were two years older than her. Her two younger siblings were <laughs> Benny and Jenny. Stop it. <laughs> Benny and Jenny, who Daniel were born. Daniel and Diana, Benny and Jenny. <laughs> I loved it. And then we have Sylvia. Sylvia. <laughs> <laughs> like, why couldn't they at least have done like the Kardashian thing where they have all the same letter or something? Yeah, like, come on. Something. Uh, Benny and Jenny were born in 1950, so they were one year younger. So all the kids were really close in age, though. Popping them out. That's a, that's that's a, a lot, lot of, of kids. <laughs> that's a messy home. But Twins are so difficult to to carry and to deliver. And like, then you have another child oh, so shortly after. Yeah. You're probably so stoked that that one's a single child. You're like, okay, we'll have one more. We'll and have then, one more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, nope, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> you and have I twins. feel like with both of these being a boy and girl twin, that's I almost feel like harder because I feel like they butt heads more than like two boys would have or two girls would have for maybe. some reason. Or maybe not. I don't know. That's a lot of girls in a house, too. That's three mm -hmm. girls and two boys. Oh, that's just bad. Bad, mm -hmm. bad parenting there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Her family was very large and very poor. They were living in Boone County, which is northwest of Indianapolis. This story pretty much takes place in Indianapolis. That's how close it is. Her father, Lester, only had an eighth grade education, and he bounced around to many different jobs. He worked the laundry route. He other times worked in factories. He once tried opening a small restaurant that ended up being a total flop and failure. Then he ended up settling as a carnival gig. Did he come from like Amish heritage? Um, I actually did not look that much into the parents because it was really hard to find information about them. Well, I mean, in this, it was a while ago. <laughs> it's 70 well, years ago. It's kind of like her parents tried to stay out of the limelight after all this happened. And you'll kind of understand their family has had a lot of trouble. So they've probably tried to just go as far under the radar as possible. Yeah, I just wondered because we live in Amish country, if you didn't know. So <laughs> I've, I've been around the town once or twice. A lot of people <laughs> have just eighth grade education. Um, her mother did finish her education, but since she had so many children, she was a stay at home mom. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Surprising. So Lester and Betty would sell candy, beer, soda, and popcorn at the carnival stands during the summer of the traveling carnival 
but they stayed in the Indiana area. Because moving so often had put an extra expense on the family once the kids were born. It also would be removing them from school for periods of times, things like that. But before the kids, this was the best lucrative money thing that they had done. And Lester and Betty like had held so many jobs over the years that this one thing worked. They kind of thought like, hmm, this is it. This is what we should do. Yeah. The Likens children's really did want to help with the carnival, but only the boys were allowed to help because Lester thought that Jenny and Sylvia were not really fit due to it because of safety, education, things like that. They just kind of thought the girls might be too young to subject them to that. As a teenager, Sylvia had tried to help her family by saving money that she could get from babysitting, running errands, sorry, running errands, performing chores for friends, neighbors, whatever she could do. She did keep a little bit of it, but like 90% of this, she was giving back to her family because she wanted to help. She was friendly, confident, lively, and her friends always called her Cookie. Sylvia seemed like a great person. No, Cookie. It reminds me of Animal Crossing. (laughs) Not an Animal Crossing (laughs) reference at all. Sylvia was a very pretty young girl. Also, she had this long, beautiful brown hair. She had like the cutest little like bangs and stuff. You guys will see her on Instagram. She's adorable. (laughs) But she avoided smiling with her teeth because she did have a really big insecurity. When she was younger, she was roughhousing with her brothers and they ended up actually knocking out one of her front teeth. Oh, yikes. But she's such a champ that all she did was instead of going, getting it fixed, doing anything, she just learned to live with it. Her favorite band was the Beatles, and she loved music. Her closest friend was her younger sister, Jenny. Jenny, though, her younger sister, was said to be more on the shy side. She wasn't like Sylvia. She wasn't outgoing and like exuberant. She was just, you know, a little bit quieter. (laughs) Quiet. (laughs) They would often go to the roller rink and skate. Oh, I love roller rinks. Me too. <laughs> I'm not going to necessarily say I'm good at it, but I love it. I'm good at it. <laughs> kind of like bowling. I'm not good at bowling, but gosh dang, am I a fun bowler to right? take. <laughs> Sylvia always had to hold Jenny's hand when they were at the roller rink, though, because she had polio as a child. Jenny did. And it caused her to have a severe limp and she had to wear steel braces on her legs since then. In the summer of 1965, Betty and Lester had separated and the girls were staying with their mom while the boys stayed with their dad. Due to having little skills beyond being a carnival worker, Betty ended up turning to a life of crime to try and make ends meet, mostly by just stealing things. Betty ended up becoming... Oh, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Betty was arrested on July 3rd for shoplifting. Because she was trying to make ends meet. She was probably stealing food, which is the more sad thing, even. Very uh, Aladdin. <laughs> Young street rat. Lester needed to figure out how to fix the situation. He decided to make ends meet. He has to return to the traveling carnival life. But this time he wanted to actually travel and he could not do that with children. During this time, Diana was old enough, so she had gotten married and she moved off and she was living her own life. Lester needed to find some place for the remaining children to stay. Daniel and Benny were sent to live with their grandparents because they didn't mind they were fine with it, but that left Sylvia and Jenny. The girls really wanted to stay in their hometown and finish their schooling, and Lester wanted that for them also. But the family didn't have relatives in that area. Since Lester knew 
of the Banz- Banzuski. No. Banzowski. No. Banzeski. I promise you it's it's Banzeski. 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 It's very Polish. Friends. Very Polish. Banz. What do you. Okay. No one come for me. Kylie, how do we want to pronounce it? <laughs> well. Banzeski. Suski. Banajewski. Banajewski. We're going to go with Banajewski, guys. If you have heard someone else pronounce it different, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I was going to look it up. I did not. That's okay. <laughs> I'm going to restart that sentence since we had a little detour there, friends. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Since Lester knew the Banajewski family had often invited the kids over, he wondered if maybe they could just stay there if he compensated them enough. A friend of the family had introduced Lester to the actual like Banajewski family because he only knew of them. So they introduced Lester to the local woman named Gertrude Banajewski. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> it's okay. It's going to change throughout the yeah, episode. It's fine. <laughs> well, luckily for me, I don't have to say it this time because Gertrude was going by Gertrude Wright at this time because the father of her most recent child had the last name Wright. Gertrude had many kids of her own already, and some were friends of the Lycan children. Gertrude had seven of her own children. Paula, 17, John, 12, Stephanie, 15, Marie, 11, Shirley, 10, James, and Dennis, 18 months. And were those twins? Um, yeah. Interesting. So many twins. So many. The six oldest children all had the same last name, the Banajewski last name, because their father was Gertrude's ex-husband, John Banajewski. <laughs> it's getting worse. I could, not, I could not have picked like a harder last name. Banajewski. Banajewski. Because there's a Z. Zewski. Banajewski. Zewski. We're not saying the same thing here. Zuski. Zuski. Banazuski. Yeah. Maybe um, just say it with an Italian accent. Banazuski. Banazuski. <laughs> Even I'm though a- I'm pretty sure it's Polish. <laughs> I might do that. <laughs> the youngest child, Dennis, had the last name of his father. No, they were not twins. Oh. I must have made an error, guys. I'm so sorry I did not get the right age for someone. Well, I'm not changing it now. Just know that I made um, a typo. Everyone be aware. I mean, not necessarily, though. She couldn't have had two children at the same time without them being twins, Kylie. Youngest child, Dennis. Because only one kid is the other guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you see the deductive reasoning mm-hmm. here? If it was two different dads, or if it was two different moms, yeah. But if it's one... Right. That's kind of what I was thinking. But. <gasps> Guys, I I typed this at like 3 a.m. Somebody somewhere <laughs> has a discrepancy. It's fine. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <clears throat> I even used a book. I don't know where I made a mistake. Okay. So anyways, the youngest child, Dennis, had the last name of his father, Dennis Wright, who was rumored to be in the army and serving time in Germany currently. We kind of have to take that by Gertrude's word, though, because no one knows. That wasn't a me error. That was a Gertrude error. <laughs> so Gertrude agreed she would take care of Jenny and Sylvia for $20 a week, and they would be left in her care. 
Lester agreed, that sounds fair, and promised to send the money in the mail. Let's dive into Gertrude's past for a minute, because to understand who she is, you need to you need to backtrack a little, you know. Gertrude is born Gertrude Van Fossen to parents Hugh and Molly in Indianapolis on September 19th, 1929. So she was a Virgo. That is International Talk Like Pirate Day. And that's <laughs> Jimmy Fallon's. <laughs> that's a great day. It's also Jimmy Fallon's birthday. She had five siblings and was said to have a normal and happy childhood. But that was only for a matter of time. Her family suffered a devastating loss in 1939 when her father, Hugh, died unexpectedly from a heart attack right in front of Gertrude's eyes. She physically saw it happening. After Hugh had passed away, the family fell into a pit of hardships and they suffered from a lack of money almost all the time. Because remember, they had many kids also in this family. So Gertrude's mother was struggling to get by. Gertrude was forced to leave at school at 16 years old to support the family. She started working at a local pharmacy as a salesperson. The mixture of working so much, having to leave her education, and not being able to even keep her own paycheck since they went straight to her mother to help with the family, she just started feeling underappreciated. And Gertrude really felt like she needed to get away. Well, she kind of got a blessing in disguise, or so she thought. She fell in love that same year with an 18-year-old police officer named John Banzuski. She ran off to marry him. I wish I could say this led to something good happening in Gertrude's life, but alas, it did not. The couple had four children. Now, I know earlier I said they had six children. Just just wait, this will make sense. So they had four children, and Gertrude was forced to become a stay-at-home mom at that point. The family was scraping to get by with John being the only person with a job. John was violent, ill-tempered, and just extremely aggressive with his wife and children. He was dealing physical, verbal, and emotional abuse to all of them. When 1955 rolled around, John was stationed outside of Indiana for training for his police work. And this gave Gertrude an idea. She claimed the stress of moving the family would cause too much financial issues for them. So she's like, you know, I'll, I'll stay behind with the kids. But while staying behind, she ended up leaving her husband and filed for a divorce. Gertrude quickly had moved in with a new boyfriend, got remarried, and divorced all within a year. So then when John returned back to Indiana about a year later after being done with training, he and Gertrude restarted their toxic love story and had two more children, bringing the total to six. No, she was out. She was out of it. You know, it always solves a bad marriage. More children. (laughs) Right. Always. Sounds great. After six children, they did break apart, and after the last child was born, they decided they'll call it quits for good. During that time, they didn't get remarried or anything. They were just together. I say that in the little quotes. Together. In 1963, Gertrude had found a new man to latch onto. This was 18-year-old Dennis Lee Wright. Keep in mind, Gertrude was 34 at this point. I was going to say, what? Wait a second. She's older than that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I did the math because I knew that, like, People would be like, oh, maybe maybe I'm just imagining it. Maybe she's not as old as I. No, no. She's as old as you think. Interesting. So Gertrude was really good at picking the worst men to subject herself and her kids to. Dennis was physically abusive towards her and her kids. So they had a kid together because that will solve things. This dude's eight. He's a child. Yeah. Well, <sighs> they named him after 
him, Dennis, so Dennis Jr. And if you didn't notice, one of her earlier children was named John Jr. So named after John. I hate when I hate I hate it. I hate that. So I had to point it out. They both named their kids after them. Mm -hmm. Well, Gertrude ended up leaving. No, 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 no. I'm incorrect. Dennis ended up leaving Gertrude. I'm so sorry. So at this point, Dennis left Gertrude and she was left with the seven children and no support from either man, no job and no education. Gertrude was living on New York Street in Indianapolis in a small two-bedroom home. If you look up this home from the stories and stuff, the home looks very big. And in pictures, this looks like a decent-sized home. It is not. I've watched the tour on YouTube. It's really creepy uh, if you, like, Google enough and find it. These people waited until, like, the week it was going to be demolished and tore down. And they pried up the boards outside the house and crawled through the cellar and made a YouTube video to show people what the house looked like and showed where these events take place. Cause most of the story takes place in the cellar and they, they video recorded everything and stuff and like compared it to the police photographs and everything. It's been tore down kind of and redone and stuff now. So it is a different home and it does, it is a lot bigger now, but it looks a lot bigger than you would think it does in photos. Cause I was like, there's no way this is a two bedroom house. I mean, house. still there's seven children and it's a two bedroom home, regardless of it being at all big, that's still not big enough. Yes. And it's going to be more people cause mm. the two girls are going to come. But I did want to disclaimer that because when I saw this, I was like, there's no way that's two bedroom home. It's like a four bedroom. No, 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 no. It's two bedroom. Interesting. So, um, with it being so small, the children ended up having to share bedrooms and some would just like make little pallets and sleep on the living room floor. And the only rule was Gertrude gets the couch like that's her domain. She gets to sleep on the couch every night. Gertrude could not easily work since she had such young children. So she made money by having an at home ironing business for the neighbors and surviving off welfare checks. The house was run down, dirty, messy. And it had became a place where the neighborhood children would hang out since there was no rules. Like you wouldn't get in trouble for being messy. You wouldn't get in trouble for like doing anything. It was it was it was GTA five up in there. Lawless. No rules. Jenny and Sylvia had became friends with some of Gertrude's kids during this time. So they were always invited to stay the night in the home and hang out there. So this was the event that had led Lester into the idea of thinking the girls should stay there. We're now kind of caught up more to the the present day of the story at first gertrude was not excited about the idea but she really needed the money and lester did offer 20 dollars to feed house and care for the girls so she agreed the 20 dollars did not stretch near as far as gertrude thought it was would and it was just not enough to end up feeding and caring for the two girls so she quickly began to dislike jenny and sylvia due to this because they were becoming a burden gertrude was acting cold and distant towards the girls due to this but also Gertrude was suffering a lot. She had asthma. She had chronic illnesses and mental illnesses. But by the way, she also smoked like a chimney. So of course she did. <sighs> she was looking very rough for her age. I am going to post this photo and y'all are not going to believe me that this woman is like 37 because she is a rough 37. Oh, I'm excited to see that. It's 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 rough in all caps. That's the only way I can put it. <laughs> in all caps. She had a receding hairline. 
sunken eyes, pale with tough skin, and she looked like a ding dong skeletor. She was just she was just bad. Lovely. It was bad. The appearance was brought on by her bad hygiene, improper diet, and lack of getting any help with any of her illnesses. So I mentioned diet. Let's let's dissect this. <laughs> I mentioned this house was small, right? It was small, unfurnished, and not taken care of. She and herself and nine children are now living in this home. There's no stove and no microwave. There is one single hot plate in the home, and that's it. The pantry would only hold crackers, bread, and some soup. There were so, like, the whole house was covered in layers of dirt, soot, and grime on all the counters, floors, and surfaces in the home. And there were only enough dishes and utensils for three people to live within the home. Like, she's a stay-at-home mom. Like, why, why doesn't she clean at all? Devil's advocate here. I mean, yes and no. <laughs> she's mentally ill. Maybe yeah. it is a struggle. Yeah. I, I always love to warn when I'm in a devil's advocate and stick up for the bad guy in the story. Because I don't want people to think I'm like, okay, so here's the bad guy's train of thought. Right. The home, the home overall was a mess and not set up to home any children or just really any people. It only had mattresses and beds to sleep three or four people on, and it was so appalling for anyone to enter. Now, Lester later did say that he didn't actually go in the house, and he knew the house was slightly ran down by, like, looking at the outside and stuff. But he was like, oh, she's a stay-at-home mom. The inside's probably better or something. So he kind of, like, turned a blind eye because he's like, oh, I shouldn't judge Gertrude because of her mental illness and stuff and all that like I but he should because he's having his children stay with her yes but I mean he is really upset about everything that transpires but he did kind of like give a little bit of reasoning he didn't know it was that bad he really did not so during the first week of Sylvia and Jenny living in the home it was great for the girls They were continuing to go to the regular school, see the regular friends. They were invited to attend the local church that the kids went to. They were invited to social events with the children. There was this one one small issue, though. Paula, who was Gertrude's 17-year-old daughter, was very jealous of Sylvia. During July through October of 1965, when July... Okay. Okay. When Sylvia lived in the home, there was a constant dislike, I would say it's a borderline hate, that Paula shared for Sylvia. And she was very vocal about this. When the second payment for the girls did not come in the mail as promised, Gertrude was furious. She snapped on the girls and she yelled at the girls, stating that she had no room to care for them for free. Gertrude forced the two girls to bend over the kitchen table, pulling their skirts up and their underwear down and begun to paddle the girls with a wooden paddle. Think like fraternity wooden paddles. She made all of her own children watch this while warning them. This is what happens when you cross me. Jenny later testified in court regarding that event, saying afterwards she took us upstairs. She slapped me and said, well, I took care of you two bitches for a week for nothing. The money order arrived the next day, by the way. Of course it did. <laughs> Do you like that <sighs> I made that its own paragraph? Because uh, I just yes. <laughs> I wanted that to stand out for you. Uh, 
Okay. So Gertrude did hurt Jenny during that event, but that was one of the only times Jenny was firsthand subjected to physical pain because she suffered much less abuse than her sister did because most of the pain was always directed towards Sylvia and the few times Jenny was about to become the victim, Sylvia would volunteer to take the punishment away. Think Hunger Games. I did. I, I knew you would. When I saw your eyes light up, I first thought like Hunger Games moment. <laughs> yep. Now, before you ask, Kylie, mm-hmm. you're probably thinking like, okay, but like, why genuinely does Gertrude hate Sylvia so much? Like, shouldn't she hate Jenny and Sylvia? Why does she hate Sylvia? All right. I, I got you on this. <laughs> They think it's because she was trying to protect Paula's feelings and Paula hated Sylvia so much. And Sylvia was 16. She was beautiful. She was young. She got to be in school, stay in her school when she wanted to, when she had the opportunity to leave. And she was happy. Those were all the things that Gertrude had ripped away from her life. She was 16. She was beautiful, young in school. And all that was ripped away. So she's just hella jealous of her. Pretty much. Sylvia had the life Gertrude wanted and she was watching it being lived out in front of her. And then nonetheless, her own daughter was like upset and jealous at this. That It probably did a a little number in her brain. Mm -hmm. There were many other instances where the girls got in trouble for just stupid trivial issues. Like this one time the girls tried saving up bottles and cans to exchange for money so that they could buy candy and other things. When they got home with the treats, Gertrude accused the girls of stealing and brought out the beatings again. Gertrude would alternate the beatings from a paddle to a thick leather belt her husband had left behind. Keep that story in the back of your brain, the whole her thinking that Sylvia is a thief for stealing candy, even though she wasn't. Okay. When the girls started to get used to the subjection of beatings with the paddle and the belt, Gertrude decided that the best idea was to do a worse tactic. So she started burning the girl's fingertips with matches. I don't like that. And since she was so frail due to all of her issues, she sometimes couldn't deal all the lashings. So she would have her daughter, Paula, help with the beatings. That sounds like a great idea. That sounds like a great parent. One Sunday, the girls went with Gertrude's own children to a social event at their church Jenny and Sylvia were so starved at this point because they weren't used to eating so little like Gertrude's kids were. So they were beyond excited when they saw free meals being given out. They ended up going back for seconds and then Sylvia went up for a third helping. The Banzazuski children. <laughs> I forgot how we decided. I'm sorry. Banzazuski. Banzazuski. Children told their mother what happened and she was furious. She said that Sylvia would ruin her appearance. She often, like, would talk about Sylvia potentially becoming fat and things like that. It, I don't know. You don't have know. to eat things. <laughs> <laughs> like, to become fat. Outside of crackers to become fat. So she was so furious at Sylvia, she decided to start making her eat these fully loaded hot dogs that day that were loaded with, like, every condiment, everything in the kitchen, like, everything she could think of. Until Sylvia got sick. Kylie, prepare yourself. (laughs) Sylvia started throwing up the food and vomiting. So Gertrude forced her to eat all the vomit repeatedly until there was no vomit and no food left. And she was beating her in between these. 
That is absolutely disgusting. Also, like, I'm thinking, like, was she just, like, throwing up on the floor and she had to eat it off the floor? That is probably what I imagined, too, actually. Like, I doubt she let her, like, sit at the table and do this. Yeah. And I doubt she, like, gave her anything to throw up in. Yeah. So she's probably, like, having to lick this off the floor and stuff. I I don't want to think about it too much, Kyla. (laughs) I don't. uh, I would have. I would have run away. You wouldn't quick. have handled that very well. Oh, I no. Feel. But I also know that she's a frail, stupid bitch. And I would have. But she has a million children. I. That are like brainwashed. And you're going to find yeah. out that the neighborhood okay. is brainwashed, too. OK. So this was only the first two weeks being in the home. All this happened. Oh. This okay. was the first two weeks after Lester had left. I thought this was like. No. A couple months at least. Nope. We're only two weeks into the story, Kylie. Okay. Sylvia thought she was literally living in a nightmare at this point. Soon after this, Sylvia one day was confiding in one of Gertrude's children about how before she moved into the home, she had a boyfriend and she was telling stories about him. You know, they were like girl gossiping, things like that. And she talked about how he felt her up. Gertrude had overheard the story and was infuriated about it. She accused Sylvia of being a prostitute and a whore. Gertrude started telling all the neighborhood kids who came to visit that Sylvia was obviously pregnant because she always let random men sleep with her. Following these rumors. Talking about, hold on, talking about (laughs) ruining her image. Like, wouldn't that be the worst? Oh, Gertrude loves rumors. Just wait. Gertrude loves rumors. So Gertrude followed this act of the rumors by kicking and beating Sylvia heavily in her genital region. I know Kylie and I gave a disclaimer at the beginning, guys. I also wanted to throw out there's a lot of talk about slandering the word prostitute in this case. Kylie and I do not have those same feelings, but we are repeating how this went through the court transcripts. So don't think that we're out here bad-mouthing. I am just reading how it came out. Sylvia was banished from using furniture in the home without Gertrude's permission. Next. Like, that was her next thing. She couldn't even sit down. She couldn't couldn't do anything. She couldn't sleep on the beds. Nothing. The children in the home and the neighborhood were encouraged to beat Sylvia up, hurt her, tie her up, push her down the stairs, throw her against walls, and belittle her as much as possible. Gertrude also was using Sylvia's skin to put her cigarettes out. So Mm. she's covered in bruises, burns, everything at this point. I have been burned by a cigarette before, and that just, that is so painful. Mm -hmm. It just sizzles, too. Like, it doesn't stop. No. And you have to think, she's probably holding these cigarettes. And if, I bet if Sylvia pulled away or something, she's getting a lashing or something. Yeah. Gertrude convinced all the kids in the home and many of the kids in the neighborhood that Sylvia was spreading wild and false rumors about them to make them more upset with Sylvia so that they like kind of hated her. Gertrude was giving speeches in the house about how Sylvia deserved everything that was happening to her and that they were only punishing Sylvia because she was doing wrong things. So she kind of reinforced this behavior. To me, Gertrude at this point was kind of like a mini cult leader. I kind of had that vibe, too. Yeah. Yeah. Of all the neighborhood children because it was like a mob mentality. Well, and like 
she's literally living with all of these people that are being brainwashed to hurt her. So one of the movies, I will talk about all of them in the end, but one of the movies made out of this is called The Girl Next Door, a 2007 film. It's on Netflix. It's free if you have a Netflix subscription. Do not think it's The Girl Next Door, the movie about the the sex worker named Athena. It is not that one. <laughs> <laughs> that is obviously a different one. They just they have the same title. That's funny. Um, no, this one, it looks like it takes place in the 50s because it, it does takes place back in the day. Um, it is also called The Girl Next Door. It was made in 2007. And this movie is not for the faint of heart. I watched it and it's sad as hell. I knew it was coming and I still was miserably depressed. They showed a lot of the true events. It's so hard to stomach it when you know what really happened and you see how hard this would have been for Jenny and Sylvia. They did change a few of the facts and they changed the names, but they they got about 85% of it right. And it's sad. It also shows you how this mob mentality came to be, though, and just kind of how this woman persuaded these kids to be so vile. Gertrude invited her daughter, Stephanie, who was 15, and Stephanie's boyfriend named Coy Hubbard. Oh, Coy. I do cool. like Coy, yeah. But he's a douchebag. We don't like him. I'm sure, but still. He, cool name. He used Sylvia as practice for his judo skills. So he literally would just come over okay. and beat the hell out of her. She said it was deserved. She meaning Gertrude said it was it was deserved, though, because Sylvia was spreading rumors about Stephanie being a prostitute. OK. There. Are, OK. The story is told from Stephanie's point of view. Keep that in mind. But Stephanie said that that really did happen before all this abuse, that that rumor mill was started. And Stephanie cried about it to Gertrude and Stephanie and Sylvia fought about it, but they came to an agreement and Sylvia apologized, but she did it because she was jealous of Koi or something. I've heard two or three different versions of that. It does kind of seem realistic, but even, even if it was realistic, this is too far. Sylvia's best friend, Anna Cisco, was convinced during this time that Sylvia was calling her mom a whore. Because guess who started that rumor? Right. Gertrude. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Gertrude invited Anna to the house and told the girls the only way to solve this is to fist fight the problems out. Where? Where's like, I mean, I guess this was a long time ago, but like, what about the school? Like, do they not notice? I will get to that. Okay. Actually, that is two paragraphs away. Okay. <laughs> I'm excited for that one. <laughs> During all this, Gertrude was trying to break Sylvia down mentally by destroying every relationship she had, including Jenny. There was an attempt to make Jenny fight Sylvia, but Jenny would refuse every time. Gertrude started then attacking Jenny till Jenny gave in. Jenny started beating up Sylvia. And when Jenny started to hit and punch Sylvia, Gertrude told her she could not stop until Gertrude allowed it. And Sylvia just allowed it because she's like, I'd rather me be hurt than Jenny. Like Sylvia loved Jenny so much. So Kylie, you asked about school. Let's let's talk about it. Let's do it. Sylvia was still attending school regularly during these events, but she was too scared to tell adults or friends what little friends she had left of the abuse because Gertrude said if Sylvia told anyone she would kill Jenny. So 
Sylvia stayed quiet. I still would have told. Because, <laughs> like, how, she's like, scared. If you she's just specifically young. say that, like, you specifically say that she's threatened Jenny's life, like, someone would be there right away. I mean, I guess maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Because she has all these kids. Time. What if one of her kids gets to them for... I don't know. This bitch is crafty, man. Yeah. And all the other neighborhood kids are in on it now and stuff. I would never feel safe. Yeah. There's just so much. I understand. Well, Sylvia got in trouble too many times for improper clothes during gym class. They had a mandated like sweatsuit and Gertrude refused to buy it for her. So Sylvia ended up stealing one from a classmate and Gertrude heard about this. Gertrude took it upon herself to find a punishment for the crime, and so she removed her from school. This also led to Gertrude inflating her own ego because she was like, oh, Sylvia's a thief. Remember in the past when I thought Sylvia was a thief, I'm obviously always right. So if I'm right about this, you know what else I'm right about? Everything. So in her mind, she's like, all those times I called Sylvia a prostitute, I was right. Okay. (laughs) It's just infuriating. I just want to punch her in the face. (laughs) And like, we're only in the beginning. That's the worst part. Yeah. It's not even to the sad parts yet, which is sad because this is sad. Yeah. She ended up gathering all of her sons and the neighborhood boys in the living room where she forced Sylvia to strip and masturbate in front of everyone with an empty Coke bottle. Sylvia was, yeah, that (sighs) Sylvia was 16 at this time. And her sister, Jenny, was told she had to sit there, be present and watch as well. And she was threatened the whole time that if Sylvia did not comply with the entire part of Gertrude's orders. This act was Gertrude's idea. However, she also later said this idea was very vulgar. No kidding. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) So she forced Sylvia into a scalding hot bath to cleanse her of her sins okay sylvia had been given multiple scalding hot baths during this time though because she was now having issues of wetting the bed at night and that disappointed gertrude sylvia was starting to completely fall apart and break down both mentally and physically due to everything she had suffered and now she's at home 24 7 with gertrude so gertrude decided the best idea was to move her into the cellar slash basement so that she's less of an eyesore to the family Okay. You created this eyesore, so... Literally, you, like, there was no bathroom in the basement, though. So she was forced to go to the bathroom on the floor. There was no food, except for the times that Gertrude would throw crackers down to her. When Sylvia would start begging for the decency of just a bath, since she was living in her own filth in the basement, where there was urine and feces covering the floor, Gertrude came up with a new plan. She would have the kids in the home fill the bathtub with scalding water, tie Sylvia up like a hog, and then repeatedly submerge her into the water until they were bored with her. The kids followed the bathtub event with beatings and rubbing salt in Sylvia's burns and wounds that covered almost all of her body at this point. Some of the neighborhood kids would even pay to torture Sylvia or to watch the torture of it. It was truly sick at this point. Where are all of these parents? Like... (laughs) Kids go home and talk about what they're doing. I don't understand how no one was like, hey, maybe we should check out that Sylvia girl. Like, 
I mean, I'm sure they thought that if they said something, this would happen to them, though. Parents? No, I'm the kids. Oh, if they saw this, I, I feel like at that point they were in on it. So they thought they would get in trouble. Or they might be afraid they would be next. Yeah, maybe, I guess. Because you're young and you're dumb at this point. Some of these kids were probably only like 12 or something. Your brain is not correct at 12. (laughs) Not correct. (laughs) Yeah. And in the movie version, Gertrude would let the kids smoke and drink in the house. Of course. And she supplied it. And that was part of the other tactic was you can't go home and tell your parents because I let you do all this stuff and I could I could get you in trouble and then you'll be next. I gotcha. Which that part, I guess it kind of makes sense. Yeah, that part could have been just for the movies, but oh no, I'm such a goody two shoes and a tattletale. Like, I would have done absolutely anything to get out of that situation, right? I feel like I, I would have even gone to like a police station that was out of the jurisdiction of where I lived. Because I would be scared to like have someone see me go there and tell my story, you know, like I would figure out a way or like you're in an quote, go to school and uh, yeah, Indy's huge. And these are our city, city, big city, big city, state, city, city, state, city. <laughs> what is it called? <laughs> what is Indianapolis? It's our nationals city. Why can't our, I think of it? Our state, state city. <laughs> Capital. Capital. <laughs> Indianapolis is our state capital. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. And with that being said, not all state capitals are obviously like the biggest city, but ours ours is. That's, yeah, it's well, big. It's tied with Bloomington probably. But it's it's a big city, you guys. Indy is huge. It's the city of Indiana. Like and they're probably on the outskirts. I get that. But you could ride your bike over to another town district probably you could do something i would have just run or like walked forever when i was at school you know like i would have just sorry i had to take a drink i'm sorry if that gulped loud (laughs) just like that would have been my i tattled on someone to my school counselor when i was younger like i saw two kids beating each other up the problem is like everybody in school already knows so if they saw they'd be like oh Sylvia's going to the principal or, you know, Sylvia's going. So, like, I would have been like, I'm going to the restroom and then I would leave the school. Where was, why did they allow her to be removed from school? Yeah. I get it. This was back in the day, but there are plot error points here. And also, is Lester never checking in with his kids ever? No, I don't think he was. Okay, well, cell phones weren't a thing. Well, and this also happened in apparently a short period of time. Yes, it was very short. So he probably but wasn't like he was sending the the the, the money money once a month. They should have ran away to the carnival too, and he was worried about their safety at the carnival. Right. It's that's just so hard. The irony of the whole thing, or like if they would have just went to the grandparents and left school, this could have been avoided. Yeah. It's the big what if. I'm sorry I picked such a sad case. (laughs) It's not getting any better. Okay, let's keep going. We got to keep trucking along. So at this point, Sylvia is living in the basement and things. Remember, well, Gertrude promised Sylvia she could come live with the family upstairs as long as she stopped wetting the bed. So she took Sylvia upstairs to one of the beds. 
But instead of just letting her like sleep through the night, she bound her to the bed and kept her there on the bound bed for an extensive amount of time, purposely waiting for Sylvia to wet herself. And then when it happened, she beat her and told her she couldn't live upstairs and then made her do the same stripping Coke bottle incident as described earlier in front of everyone again. Now, wait, you said Coke can at first and now it's a Coke bottle. Oh, I'm sorry. I think it's a Coke bottle. It's the 50s, right? Aren't they bottles more? Like a glass bottle? I assume so. Like that makes, I just like can't picture a can. Like that would. I think it's a Coke bottle. I think that was my mistake. I'm sorry. Okay. But here is another thing. Children often wet the bed when they're like molested or having sexual improper affections, things like that. Right. So that is not helping the situation. No. It's literally a vicious cycle that Gertrude is creating. During this event, Sylvia tried tried to cry, but her body was so dehydrated that nothing happened, but she was dry heaving. Gertrude thought this whole event was what described Sylvia as a prostitute, so she should be reminded of this event for the rest of her life. So the boys were told to carry Sylvia over to the bed, tie her up while still naked, and make sure she stays still. Gertrude got a sewing needle from nearby, heated it up over a flame, and carved into Sylvia's skin. I'm a prostitute and proud of it. During this tattoo etching, though, Gertrude got so tired that she told one of the neighborhood boys, Richard Hobbs, to finish the job for her. He gladly complied. It's upsetting. That night, Jenny was allowed to go visit her sister in the basement, and Sylvia told her that she thinks her body's giving up and she's dying. Jenny's only solution was to tell Gertrude so that maybe the beatings would stop or at least lessen. But that made Gertrude realize that Sylvia could actually die. So she needs an escape plan. Not that she should stop. She just needs an escape plan. Right. So she came up with this horrific idea. Gertrude forced Sylvia to write a letter to her parents talking about how she's running away with a gang of boys and she's going to leave Jenny behind. But then she writes another letter like saying what's happening while she's living with the boys as if the two notes will be found together. And it talks about how the boys rape her and beat her and put out cigarettes on her skin and carve things into her skin and all this stuff. Pretty much all the evil things Gertrude had been doing to her, she says these boys have been doing to her so that when this note uh, surfaces, Gertrude can't be blamed for anything. The boys did it. This came around the same time during an instance when Sylvia decided she wanted to try to escape. But Gertrude and one of the boys found her and stopped her and they beat her again and threw her back in the basement. Sylvia was offered toast and crackers to eat by Gertrude. And it was the first time Sylvia had eaten on that specific week. Now, remember earlier I mentioned how dehydrated Sylvia was. So toast and crackers were one of the only things they would allow her to eat. But when it came time to drink things and in the first few days in the basement, they did allow her to drink water. But then they thought it'd be more fun to make her drink urine to stay hydrated. Wait, her urine or others? All urine. Gross. So it didn't matter. It depended. Well, when she went to offer this toast and crackers and stuff like that t- to her, Sylvia had heard and like overheard what Gertrude was going to do with the note. 
And she realized that that was like a tactic, this toasting crackers to be nice to her. And she's like, this is the end. This lady doesn't care if I die or not. She's getting a plan for if I die. So Sylvia's like, I'm going to go out swinging. She decided she needs to fight back this last time. Sylvia refused to eat the food, which made Gertrude furious at the defiance. And she wanted to beat Sylvia. So first she started to try to beat her with a, with a chair. Sylvia dodged the attack and the chair hit a wall and broke. When Sylvia dodged the next attack of Gertrude coming at her with the paddle, it swung back and hit Gertrude in the face, giving her a black eye. I love that part. That's my favorite part of the whole story. (laughs) Gertrude was furious and gave up, so she instead told her son John to come to the basement and beat Sylvia. He beat her with a broom till she was unconscious. In the morning following the event, the kids were told to go give Sylvia one of her tied-up scalding baths. But when the kids dropped her in the bath, she didn't scream like she normally would. They pulled her out of the water and noticed she was not breathing. They panicked and decided to go get Gertrude. However, Stephanie stayed behind and attempted to give CPR to Sylvia, but she was beyond saving at that point. Sylvia had died in her sleep the night before on October 26th, 1965, after being beaten. How old is that kid? Which the, one? John? The son, yeah. Uh, Do you know? Yeah, I do. 12 to 15. Yikes. It's literally like a brainwash, like a normal kid. Yeah. Like, no, no. (laughs) I want to say he was 12, but he was between 12 to 15. Okay. Sylvia had died in her sleep. Like I said, she was taken downstairs and the police were called from a neighbor's home. Gertrude had a plan. She wanted to give the police the note and tell them that She actually found Sylvia and the note the night before and she brought her home and attempted to rescue her and help her. And she was trying to clean her up and take care of her and nurse her back to health. But she had sadly passed away due to these boys beating her and harming her so much. And it was beyond Gertrude's capability of taking care of her. Like some of the kids are younger, right? Yeah. Like it's impeccable that none of them spoke about anything specific or even out of the ordinary specific, you know, like little kids would do like. Well, the younger kids probably were too scared. And then then it talk probably because yeah, maybe one of them they were was just a baby. Like completely mute. Yeah. Yeah. Well, while the police were in the home, Jenny quietly went over to one of the police officers and was like, hey, hey you, hey, you, if you get me the heck out of here. I, if you, if you promise me, officer, (laughs) look me in the eyes, promise me I will never come back to this place, bro. I'm going to tell you how Sylvia was murdered. And they're like, okay, okay, (laughs) you got it. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Let's go. So the police were shocked because when they first heard this story from young sister Jenny, they're like, the fuck? There's no way this is real. Yeah. But they literally found every piece of evidence they needed in the home to back up the story. Sylvia's body was taken to the coroner, who made a note in his files that her body was very badly beaten, malnutrition, had brain swelling, and resembled that of a Holocaust victim. Wow. Her official cause of death was ruled shock and severe brain hemorrhaging caused by prolonged abuse to the body. Sylvia was buried at Oak Hill Cemetery in Lebanon, where she was born. Lebanon, Indiana. <laughs> you got this. <laughs> you got it. Ooh. 
I see every time I see that name, I just like take a deep breath. <laughs> Gertrude Banasowski <laughs> was tried for the events in May of 1966. During the trial, Gertrude denied any knowledge of the torture. Her claim was the children must have done it all. Oh, okay. So not only are you a horrible person, but you also were trying to pin it on the children. Like, so she entered a plea of not guilty. And if she is guilty, it's it's actually not guilty because she's insane. Okay. On May 19th, 1966, a jury found that's a little after a year at this point. A Gertrude. <laughs> Ah, Gertrude. It's a species now. (laughs) A jury found Gertrude guilty of first-degree murder. Good, bitch. Go die in a hole. Oh, you're not going to like what's coming up. (laughs) At the same time, Paula, her daughter, was tried also and found guilty of second-degree murder. Gertrude and Paula were sentenced to life terms at the Indiana Women's Prison in Indianapolis. At some point later, it came out that Gertrude's plan was to mail the letter that Sylvia wrote in the cellar to her parents and leave her body in a garage. Garbage. Okay. (laughs) Garbage dump to die alone. Okay. I know how to type. I promise. Richard Hobbs, the boy who carved the words into her stomach, along with John, the son, and Coy Hubbard, the judo skill boy, were all convicted of manslaughter. These boys were sentenced to 221 terms at Indiana State Reformatory in Pendleton, which is not far from Indy. Mm-hmm. In 1971, though. Stop it. <laughs> I don't like the way you said it. The Indiana Supreme Court granted Gertrude and Paula new trials because they had pre <laughs> I know this word. Prejudicial. Prejudicial atmosphere. What the fuck is that? Because they were tried in the same area when so many people knew what happened, they didn't get a fair trial. But luckily, Gertrude was convicted of first degree murder okay. a second time. Good. Go right in a hole, bitch. <laughs> On August 5th, 1971, she was reconvicted. Paula. However, pleaded guilty and got a lesser charge of voluntary manslaughter and only served two more years in the state penitentiary. The three boys were all released in 1968 to be on parole because there could be behavior in jail. They each ended up serving less than three years. I mean, like, I don't really feel bad. I don't feel like bad about that. I feel kind of good about it because like Gertrude was such a bad like influence like i don't think the boys would have done it if gertrude wasn't just sitting there like you have to do this you know i guess i mean at the age of that type but no of, one like, manipulation told... they <sighs> didn't know i know they didn't know any better i'm still just angry she well, died yeah. i am angry too this could have happened to any of those kids but also what if do Sophia? you think like john is okay with the fact that he killed her, like he was the last one. Okay, no, no, you just wait. Okay, wait till you hear what John's doing with his life here, brother. Okay, so <clears throat> I don't want to tell you this was coming, but in December 1985, 
Gertrude was released on parole. She only had to serve 19 years. She changed her name to Nadine Van Fossen and moved to Iowa, where she lived off the grid until her death from lung cancer on beautiful, beautiful June 16th, 1990. R.I.H. Rest in hell. Rest in a worse place than hell. Paula married and moved to a farm in Iowa. In 2012, she was fired from her job as a teacher's aide at a school with children. (laughs) With children. And how did she get fired? Someone reportedly called in an anonymous tip telling them of who she was. So when she got married, her name was changed to Paula Pace. So when she applied, she used that name and somehow the school didn't like check that much into things. Like, obviously she's married. So. So when the school looked into this anonymous tip, they found out the heinous crimes of her past. And since she had been working in the school district in Conrad, Iowa, since 1998 as a teacher's aide for special needs students, she was fired in 2012. Special needs students, 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 (laughs) nonetheless, like. My goodness, like taking the literal most care of a teacher that you can possibly get into that type of person. Yeah. So you want to know what John's doing with his life? Yeah, I want to know. He's a minister. No, he's not. In Texas and counsels children. He counsels children of divorced parents. No, he does not. <laughs> to be precise. <laughs> what? So that's that's John's life now. Richard Hobbs, um, he's the one that did the carving. He died of cancer, lung cancer, at 21. It's because everybody was smoking. Know, yeah, smoking in the home. That was only four years after being released from the reformatory. So I'm going to talk about her family more now because I'm 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 sick of hearing about all those people. I hate them. I'm done with them. Let's let's move on to something not happier, but better. Lester and Betty Likens were divorced, but they at least were happy to be reunited with Jenny. So they came back together for that. They didn't get remarried or anything, but they stayed together for a short time. They were blessed that they could at least have one of their children make it out alive from the whole event. Betty remarried and she died in 1998 at 71 years old. Lester died in 2012 at the age of 86. Jenny got married and passed away as Jenny Likens Wade in 2004 at 54. After Betty, Lester, and Jenny had passed away, though, the Lichen family had another tragedy. (laughs) Their oldest daughter, Diana, 67, in May of 2015, had gone missing. Diana was found in serious condition in a vehicle with another person stranded alongside a dirt road in just past San Diego. She had been declared missing. She was taken to a local hospital to be checked out, and the other body in the car was confirmed dead. Diana and her husband, Cecil, had disappeared after going to Valley View Casino in Southern California when they were headed to their son's home for a Mother's Day dinner, but they never showed up and were declared missing. The police think what happened was they had got lost while taking a shortcut and they were searching for them very adamantly. But the area is that they had a white sedan and the area where they were lost was so covered by brush that they couldn't even see the vehicle because of how covered the area was. When they did finally find 
the car, it was because some like off road guy that like, I guess, does this for a living, like does off road things. I don't know. I don't go outside. OK, um, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> like he's just out hanging out, having adventures or something. I don't know. Okay. He came across the car and he's like, oh, my golly. And he called in. Oh, my golly. <laughs> when he called in, the police came. The police noticed Diana had stayed alive. Because she was eating remnants of food that were in the car that she was going to be taking to her sons for the event. She was eating a banana cream pie and an eight pound bag of oranges. <laughs> she hey, was, oranges are good to, you know, good to have. Even worse. Yeah. And I mean, banana cream pie is good, too. Yeah. She probably wished she had mashed potatoes. She probably, probably. was like, oh, I wish I would have been bringing the, the taters. The taters. <laughs> <laughs> good thing she wasn't bringing coleslaw in that San Diego heat. She would have gotten no. pretty upset tummy being stranded in that car. Yeah, oranges, you know, they obviously stayed okay and yeah. is a source of like water. Hydration. Yeah. Well, also, she managed to collect rainwater in cups that she was drinking. Dang, look at she her. She is a trooper. You know what that reminded me of? Ashley Murray. Oh, yeah. Collecting rainwater. Yes. Smart. We got some smart people out here. I would die. <laughs> I would forget every would life you know? thing I've ever, ever. I literally ran to a man's car. Yes, I would die. I don't do well under stress. <laughs> have you not seen me try to write these when you tell me that I have 20 minutes left? Yeah. And I start freaking out. Like, ah! <laughs> if so many typos, it's insane. It's okay. Cecil had ended up writing a note before passing away, describing what happened. And he left it on a clipboard inside the car. So the police knew. The couple took a route they were not familiar with because they thought it would be a shortcut, but they didn't plan the whole shortcut course out. So while traveling, Diana thought they were going the wrong way. As most couples do when one person thinks one thing and the other thinks they are going the right way, they argued. <laughs> Cecil finally decided they should just turn around, but the car hit a rock, then they hit another rock, and they got kind of stuck between a bunch of rocks. More, I guess like boulders, <laughs> not rocks. I'm making this sound like they're like bumper cars through the rocks, but stuck, they're boulders. Stuck between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> Cecil's final autopsy did show that he died of a natural cause, a heart attack. It was an accidental death. It had nothing like he wasn't murdered. Diana didn't do anything. It was completely natural. He was on medication. He didn't have it, obviously. So. Diana did survive. She had to have rehab for all of her injuries. But this lichen family. Guys, someone take care of the lichens. (laughs) And it's such a a name. Like, yeah, you would lichen to take care of them. (laughs) See, that's why the intro was so hard, because I could have made so many jokes. But I just after typing all this up, I was like, I can't. I don't have the energy to make a joke anymore. I don't blame you. I do not blame you at all. (sighs) Oh. Because I also did a lot of research for this and it made me sad. I'm going to real quick tell you some of the things. I watched that movie, An American Crime, on it's on YouTube, Pluto and Tubi, I want to say. It's good. It's uh, it's sad. It's sad. It's sad. <laughs> it's uh, it's, it's, sad. it's uh, a lot of facts, not super facts, but it has a lot of them. Same with The Girl Next Door. Remember the correct Girl Next Door. Do not watch that wrong one and then come back to us being like, uh. that movie was wild. Timothy Olympia was a porn dealer who tried to try to uh, blackmail someone. No, no. you 
God damn it. It's the wrong movie. <laughs> it's the wrong one. But it has a great soundtrack. That one does. Anyways. You would know that. <laughs> it's so good. Well, I wanted to watch it because her, her, uh, pro- not prostitute. I can't, I can't stop thinking that that word. Cause that's what they say in this. Her porn star name is Athena. Yeah. My name's Athena. I'm aware. <laughs> so I had to watch it. That's all. That's all. <laughs> um, but the girl next door is on Netflix. Like I said, it's also rough. It's got a lot of facts, not all of them. Keep in mind, this case took place way back in the day. So they made the film look like that. Like it's kind of gritty. It's grainy. It it's sad and old. Um, I watched the documentary Deadly Women season three, episode 11. This episode was called Born Bad. It's on ID channel. You can look it up on their website, but I, I it costs to do that one. Don't ask me how much I forget. Um, <laughs> but if you have the Hulu super big bonus, I spend way too much per month thing. You can watch it for free on ID. Uh, the two books that I liked that I use for this. There are quite a few there. There's a lot of good ones. John Dean wrote two books about it. I only read one and then I skimmed the other because it, it got sad. House of Evil, the Indiana torture slaying. And then the second one's called like the House of Torture. The story of slaying or something like that. It's kind of the same thing, but. It's great. He has lots of facts from start to finish. Very, very difficult read just because of the brutality, but he makes it easy enough to read to get the facts in the other book i read is very short and simple and concise very to the point it's called the most evil woman ever the true story of gertrude Benzinger. i'm over saying it guys vanazuski vanazuski oh that's what i was gonna do by the way guys we do the little italian hand every time we say it don't worry by Olivia Watson. Olivia Watson has a lot of books um, on like Apple books where they're nice, short to the point, And she gives you facts. All right. That is who that's Celia Likens. Yikes. It Damn. was we wanted to pick a movie that maybe you didn't know the case or the movie as much because we did The Exorcist. We did everything scream we could find. So we wanted to do one that was. The lesser, because the next one we're also hitting you. Damn, these last two are rough back to back. <laughs> oh my god! I just remember. Are you, what's are next you okay? Week. Are you like? Are you okay? Yeah, I might cry a little. <laughs> if y'all, if y'all see me crying in the club, don't, don't, don't judge me. <laughs> so, guys, we just wanted to say we really are thankful you guys are listening. Hopefully, we didn't make you too sad with this case. We wanted to give some shout outs real quick at the end. We've gotten the greatest feedback from you guys on our yes. Apple reviews. Wow, guys. Yes, thank you. They're so nice. Raylan, Amanda, Jesse. I know those ones have been up and y'all, y'all going to make me cry. You make me feel so good. I love you. <laughs> is this is this me telling all of you that I have an undying love for you? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Maybe I'll sing for you again if you listen all the way through. <laughs> Corey already planned it, so I don't really have a choice. We wanted to say thank you guys. And if you ever do give an Apple podcast review rating, we'll give you a shout out on the next episode. 
If you don't have an Apple, then you slide into those Instagram DMs. Kylie, tell them what they can do with those Instagram DMs. We just said it. <laughs> but they can give us give us gay suggestions. <laughs> I thought you were taking my my slide into those Instagram, Instagram DMs. <laughs> If you do have any case suggestions, definitely let us know. What's the Instagram? It is at Cryptic Soup Pod. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Remember oh. to subscribe, follow, tune in, keep up with us. And we're going to see you for the next episode next Tuesday. Or if you caught the bonus episode, what? What? Bonus, bonus episode. episode. I just like picture like <laughs> bonus episode, bonus episode. Bo-, you know oh, what I mean? I was thinking more the old vine with the target sign going out. Target. But it's like bonus, 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 bonus. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We're glad you're here with us. stay tuned keep up we are we are going to do bonuses so um make sure you follow the instagram because you will we'll post on there about all of the all of the upcoming stuff going on and we plan on doing something fun for christmas so that is right around the corner so it's a gift to you a gift so stay tuned The song? God damn it. Well, Kazan's bitch. She's big fat bitch. She's biggest bitch in the whole wide world. She's dumb fat bitch. She's stupid bitch. She's biggest bitch. All boys and girls. I don't remember the next part.